And uh, of course, this is the week in which we want to remember. Um, certainly, we want to remember this throughout the year, but uh, but this week in particular, as we think about the last week of Christ before he was crucified, before he uh, rose again from the dead, what took place during that. Um, and really, tonight we're going to look at one of the Psalms that is uh, very, very descriptive of what took place on the cross of Calvary. Um, and the title tonight is An Inside Look at the Cross. An Inside Look at the Cross. And um, I'm just going to start by reading verse 1 tonight, and then we'll cover a lot of these verses as we go through the, the message tonight. And so we'll start here with verse number 1 of Psalm 22, where the psalmist said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the words of my roaring. And uh, with that, let's go ahead and have a, another quick word of prayer, and we'll get right into the message tonight. Father, we do thank you for all that you did for us on the cross of Calvary. Lord, tonight as we look at this very, very precious psalm, I pray, Lord, you'd help help it to come alive in our hearts. Help us, Lord, to um, just take our minds to that scene there on, on Mount uh, Calvary. Help us, Lord, to see you hanging there between heaven and earth. Help us to see you crucified for our sins. Help us, Lord, to get that in our mind as we go through this message tonight. And Lord, may it cause us to thank you and to live a life of gratitude to you for all that you did for us. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, David, uh, if you have your Bible open there and you look right underneath where it says Psalm 22, it should have a little inscription before it gets into verse number one. And it says to the chief musician upon uh, that place there. Uh, and it says a Psalm of David. At least it says that in my Bible. And uh, so indicated there that David was the human author of this particular Psalm. Now in my study of this Psalm, commentators we're really struggling to find a time in which David experienced the type of difficulty and affliction described in this psalm. As we go down through this, you'll see tremendous agony. And by the way, I did quote this uh, particular psalm in a message on Sunday morning. So if this sounds a little familiar, hopefully it does, uh, because you'll remember me uh, quoting a lot of these verses, several of these verses on Sunday morning. But uh, as... As commentators were saying, well, it could have been this time in David's life, and certainly David experienced affliction. There's no question that uh, him running from Saul was a time in his life that was uh, very uncertain, uh, kind of like the time in which we're living in right now, uh, where it just he didn't know what tomorrow held. He didn't know uh, what, what tomorrow's news was going to be, if Saul was going to be on his tail again, if Saul was going to show up. He just didn't know what, what, what each day would bring forth. And uh, by the way, neither, of, uh, neither do we. We don't know what each day may bring forth either. Uh, but in spite of all the challenges that David had, I, I still, I'm with the commentators on this. I don't, I don't think he was referring to anything that took place in his life. I think he, by the inspiration of God, wrote this psalm as a prophetical book on what would eventually take place on the cross of Calvary. And uh, tonight we come to this very special psalm. 
Spurgeon said this about Psalm 22. He said, this is beyond all others, the Psalm of the cross. And he said, we should read reverently, putting off our shoes from off our feet as Moses did at the burning bush. For if there be holy ground anywhere in scripture, it is in this Psalm. Now, certainly all of scripture is inspired of God and and uh, there's not a scripture that's uh, not important at all, but but uh, tonight, especially as we're in Easter week, as we're leading up to the resurrection, and and I believe, and uh, you know, there's good men that disagree with me on this, and uh, and I'm I'm willing to uh, be corrected at some point down the road, but I believe that Jesus was crucified on Wednesday, and uh, that gives us the three full days and the three full nights before the resurrection on Sunday morning, Saturday nights slash Saturday night slash Sunday morning. It could have been any time in that time frame. But I believe that Jesus was crucified on Wednesday. And uh, so I thought it would be appropriate in our series, Comfort in the Crisis, looking at some of the Psalms, to look at this one tonight. Now, in the Gospels, as we read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we do see Jesus on the cross in each of those books, in each of those uh, Gospels. But in each of those, we see Jesus on the cross from their perspective. We see Jesus on the cross from the perspective of Matthew. And we kind of get a little biography of, uh, of what took place there on the cross uh, from Matthew's vantage point. And then we get to Mark, and then we get to Luke and John. Same thing. Each of these men give their viewpoint and their perspective of the cross. But here in Psalm 22... We get to see the cross from the eyes of the one hanging there. In this sacred passage of scripture, we get the inside look at the cross from the vantage point of Jesus Christ, the one who was there, the one who experienced it all. Even though this was written hundreds of years before Calvary, this acts very much like an autobiography of the cross. If we were to say, hey, we want to interview you, Jesus, and and say, what was it like to be there on the cross? Psalm 22 would would be his reply. Uh, This was from his angle, from his vantage point, what he experienced there for us on the cross of Calvary. Now, what was Jesus thinking about when he was crucified? What was really going through his mind? Well, this precious psalm gives us details that are found Nowhere else in all of the scriptures. This is a very special and sacred uh, passage of scripture. Charles Spurgeon suggested that uh, this, this is so close to and so prophetical. In fact, one commentator indicated that there were 33 specific prophecies in Psalm 22 that were fulfilled at Calvary. 33 My mind was completely blown away when I saw that. I knew there was a few, but I didn't realize that there was 33. Well, Spurgeon suggested that uh, Jesus may have actually quoted this entire psalm while he was on the cross. Now, that that can't be confirmed for sure, but it's certainly a possibility, as we'll see uh, through our message tonight. Now, tonight I want to briefly look at this uh, very significant psalm and see how prophetical this chapter really was 
and uh, what Jesus really did for us on the cross of Calvary. So first of all, tonight I want to share with you the darkness of the cross. The darkness of the cross. It wasn't uh, a wonderful experience, as you can imagine. But especially when you understand what Jesus went through from his point of view, you'll maybe understand the darkness of the cross a little bit, a little bit more. In verse number one, he was saying, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the words of my roaring, Oh my God, I cry in the day- daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. You know, this uh, is a reference to the fact that uh, during the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, as I mentioned on Sunday, he was crucified at 9 o'clock in the morning is when the crucifixion took place. Well, he was on that cross until 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So for six hours, he was on that cross. Well, the Bible says at noon, at high noon, when the sun was at its brightest, the Bible says the sky grew dark. And that indicates the darkness of the cross. This was not a wonderful, cheerful time. This was a dark time. Now, there were some cheering going on, but it was from the enemies of Jesus, and it was from Satan and his demons. They were having a party watching all of this happen. But from Jesus' perspective, it was a very dark time. Why was it so dark? Well, first of all, he was abandoned. He was abandoned. Verse number one, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? This, uh, of course, was fulfilled in this prophecy was fulfilled in Matthew chapter number 27, verse 46. It says, In about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You see, Jesus Christ felt forsaken of the Father as he hung on the cross and suffered the wrath of God against sin and died as the sinner's substitute, which, by the way, was my substitute and yours. The Bible says in Galatians 3 and verse 13 that Jesus actually became a curse and suffered under the curse of the Father while bearing our sin, that we might be freed from the curse and given the blessing of Abraham, which is eternal life through the Holy Spirit of God. He was abandoned. Have you ever felt abandoned? Have you ever felt like you were all alone and there was no one there to help you? Well, you're in good company. Jesus felt like that very much so on the cross of Calvary. And indeed, there was no one to help him at that point. No one could come and help him. He was becoming my sin and becoming yours as well. And then taking and experiencing all of the wrath of God that was meant for me and meant for you. Because of our wickedness. And by the way, he knew no sin. He was completely innocent. He didn't deserve to be experiencing that, but he was, and he did. Because he loved you. Because he wanted to be obedient to the will of his Father. Let's keep reading here in verse number 3. He says, But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. He was uh, recognizing the holiness of his Father. 
And then he talked about in verse number four, our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted. And now just deliver them. He, he thought back to others in the past who had experienced affliction and trials and who had called upon God and God uh, delivered them out. But not so with Jesus. God the Father let this all happen because it was part of the plan to redeem you and to redeem me. So he said, Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee, verse 5, and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. And he's basically almost saying it's not fair. Like, you help them. Why, why can't you help me in this moment? And you can see Jesus' humanity here. Now, yes, we know that Jesus is 100% human and 100% God at the same time. But you can see his humanity uh, come out in, this, in these verses. You ever feel like life isn't fair? <laughs> well, it's a good thing life isn't fair. Because if life was fair, you and I would be consumed like that. Because that's what we deserve because of our sin. Well, Jesus was saying, it's not fair. I mean, you helped others. Why aren't you helping me right now? And then this is a very interesting verse in verse number six. I, he says, but I am a worm. And no man, a reproach of men, and despised of the people. This is a tremendous prophecy. But to really understand the fullness of this, we have to look at the Hebrew uh, text behind it. So the Hebrew word translated worm in our Bible is actually a name of a very specific worm in Israel. It's a worm that would, uh, you know, once it dies, it would be dried out and then crushed in order to extract a red dye from this worm. And this is, of course, obviously very significant. And for you Bible scholars, maybe you're thinking, okay, I see the connection. See, the same Hebrew word occurs 42 times in the Old Testament, and only eight of those times it is translated worm or worms. The rest of the occurrences in the, in the Old Testament, it's translated as scarlet and once as crimson. The application is, of course, tremendous. Jesus Christ was dried out in intense suffering and was crushed like a worm under the wrath of God in order to extract the precious bright red substance from him, which was his sinless blood, which would be applied to men as a precious dye to cover our sin. That's why he said... I am a worm. Aren't you glad that he was a worm willing to be crushed for you so that his blood could be applied to your sin? Praise the Lord that he was willing to do that. He is a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. The people who loved him so much earlier on in his ministry, he would follow him and Let's go and hear what the, what the teacher has to say. Let's go see him perform another miracle. Where are they now? Well, they've completely despised him. They've completely walked away. Because he doesn't look like a miracle worker anymore. I mean, just look at him. He's got all that blood streaming down his face. He's got all that blood streaming down his torso and from the nails. So, 
The darkness of the cross is found in the fact that he was abandoned. It was also found in the fact that he was abused. Verse number seven says this, All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, Oh, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. This, uh, of course, details the intense ridicule and humility that Jesus suffered on the cross. This was literally fulfilled in Matthew 27, verses 39 through 44. I'll read it for you. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, O thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. You said you are God. If you are God, then you should be able to bring yourself down off that cross. Likewise, also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others, but he can't save himself. What a loser. If he be king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and and then we will believe him. You want everyone to believe in you. Well, I'll tell you, we'll believe, you will believe in you is the, the moment you come down from that cross by your own power. Then we'll believe you. Complete mockery. He goes on, they go on to say, well, he trusted in, the God, in God. Well, let God deliver him if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. The Bible says the thieves also, if you recall, it wasn't just Jesus there on the cross of Calvary. There were two others. One on either side. There were three people total there on the cross. Jesus in the middle. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. So both of these guys said, yeah, if you're supposed to be God, why don't you come down? Can you see this fulfilled there on the cross? Let's keep reading in verse number 9. Psalmist said, But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. You know, Jesus Christ is the only one who could say this truthfully and rightfully. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary, born a sinless child. He was always righteous, always perfect, always trusting God the Father in perfect obedience. And by the time he was only 12, he was already speaking in circles around the theologians of his day about the deep things of God. You see, he was, he said, but thou art he that took me out of the womb. He was thinking back to his youth as he was there on the cross. And then he goes on in verse number 11, be not far from me for trouble is near for there's none to help. None to help. Feeling completely helpless. Have you ever felt like that? Of course, when we understand that Jesus felt like that, it is of great comfort. Because he was tempted like in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. He, he is a high priest that knows what it's like to go through times of suffering, to go through times of temptation and trial, and to come out victorious. Verse number 12, it says, Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gapped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. I'm 
poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. The strong bulls of Bashan are spoken of because the reputation of them in the psalmist's day as being the strongest, fiercest bulls. Of course, this is reference to the Roman soldiers who crucified Jesus. I mean, these guys were brutal. They didn't, they didn't have any compassion for human life. I mean, taking lives was their job, their livelihood. They had to be good at it in order to get paid and to stay alive themselves. And so these are the strong bulls of Bashan. And he says, Jesus does, uh, strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. So Jesus, as he's hanging there on the cross, he sees all these Roman soldiers watching him and, and the ones who put him there. They, uh, these are the soldiers who showed absolutely no mercy to their victims, but gouged them with their horns of power to pieces. Like wild beasts, they brutally tortured their victims. They had no, no value of life whatsoever. They valued their own lives enough to do whatever it took to make their bosses happy. Look in verse number 15. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. Fulfilled as Christ's strength left his body, just as the end of the horrific event, he shouted, I thirst, if you remember that saying from the cross. That's a reference here. His uh, tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. Verse number 16. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. Of course, I don't really need to explain the piercing as a prophecy. That's obvious. But the word dogs here, for dogs have compassed me. Dogs was a common Jewish term of insult when talking about Gentiles. The heathen Gentiles would be surrounding Christ during such sufferings, fulfilled at the cross as the Roman soldiers crucified him and his hands and his feet were pierced through to the cross as the wicked gathered around him in ridicule. Verse number 17, Jesus says here, well, the psalmist says, but this is what Jesus was uh, experiencing on the cross. In verse 17, I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. Not a bone of his was broken. And this was, of course, fulfilled in John chapter 19, where it says this, when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. They did that to the other two. but They did not break Jesus' legs. But instead, one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came out there blood and water. And he that saw it bear record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith that you might believe, for these things were, fulfilled, or were done, that the scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken shall not be broken. Verse number 18. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Now this was, of course, fulfilled in John chapter 19, verse 24. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture did they cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. 
So can you just, amazing amount of prophecy that's being fulfilled on the cross of Calvary here in Psalm 22. But we see, first of all, the darkness of the cross. And uh, it is indicated by the fact that he was abandoned. He was no one there to help him. If you've ever felt alone, you felt like no one cares about me. That was Jesus, and he is the only one that really could say that. And then he was abused. Used and abused physically, mentally. He was completely abused. But I want us to see number two here tonight, and very briefly, and we're almost done. But the deliverance from the cross. Yes, the darkness or the cross was dark for a time. And verse 21 says, well, let me pick it up in verse 19. Be thou, but be not thou far from me, O Lord, O, sh- o my strength. Haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth. And this was all kind of, he was trying to get God's attention. And then here we go in verse 20, 21 at the end of that. He says, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. Now, I don't mean to burst anybody's bubble about the unicorns. Uh, I looked, looked up what the word unicorn here really means, and it's a reference to those bulls that we talked about in verse number 12. So sorry about that. Um, they're not, uh, they don't have rainbow colors and all that. No, they were strong bulls. But in verse 21, he says, For thou hast heard me. All of a sudden, after all this, where are you? Where are you? And now all of a sudden, the Lord comes in at the right moment. For thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. And then verse 22, it completely changes. I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation. Will I praise thee? At this point, there's a significant change in the psalm. We go from despair to victory, from the darkness of night to the breaking of day. Weeping may indeed endure for a night, but praise the Lord, joy cometh in the morning. And Jesus' suffering wasn't forever. It was temporary. When he said this, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation while I praise thee. This, of course, is speaking of his glorious resurrection after he was brought down to the dust of death. This was fulfilled literally when Christ appeared to his Jewish brethren, the apostles, after his resurrection. When they were gathered together in John chapter 20 and verse 26. And uh, we'll talk more about that on Sunday. Uh, but he does mention his brethren. Uh, that uh, he calls his disciples brethren. And of course that is a fulfillment of verse 22 is a prophecy i will declare my name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation will i praise thee well jumping down to verse 27 and we won't take a lot of time with all of this here uh the second part of the the message but um verse 27 says all the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the lord and all the kindreds of the nation shall worship before thee Now, this is a glorious prophecy that has been fulfilled as we look around and see all the ends of the world, the Gentile nations, remembering the death of the Son of God and believing in Him for the remission of sins. Now, all the families of the nations are worshiping uh, before God, and it will finally worship Him forever, as in uh, Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9. That's when it's going to uh, finally be completely fulfilled. 
And then verse, uh, verse number 28, for the kingdom of, is the Lord's and he is the governor among the nations. This is uh, seen partial fulfillment already as God has proven that he is indeed king and ruler over all the earth, yet we'll see a more literal fulfillment during the millennial reign of Christ that will come when he returns back to earth. So some have already been fulfilled at Calvary, but some are yet to be completely fulfilled and will be at some point down the road. I want to just uh, point out, uh, as we kind of close this message, verse 31, the very last verse in this psalm. It says, They shall come and declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he hath done this. That he hath done this. This psalm begins with the fourth words from the cross. The cry of abandonment. When God said, when Jesus said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That, that was the fourth thing that Jesus said on the cross. And that was the first verse of this psalm. So it begins with that, and, but it ends with the words that he hath done this. Now the Hebrew word here is asah, which has the, exactly the same meaning as Christ's seventh word from the cross when he said, It is finished that he hath done this that he hath accomplished it, that he hath finished his work. Jesus said, it is done. The payment has been made. The sin debt has been paid once and for all. Well, praise the Lord. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Have you applied that payment to your account? All right, so we see the cross from the eyes of Christ. We get an inside look here in Psalm 23 of what took place on the cross from the vantage point of not eyewitnesses, but as the one experiencing it. What should be the point? Well, first of all, again, understand that he did all of that for you. He did all that because he wanted to redeem you unto himself. He wanted you to spend eternity with him for forever and the only way that that was going to happen is if he did what he did on the cross. If he was your complete and total substitute. And also tonight, I think if, you, if you've listened to this message and followed along tonight and you don't feel an overwhelming sense of gratitude in your heart to the Lord for what he did, I would say either you need to get saved or you need a revival. Because when you take a peek at in your mind's eye and understand what the Bible says about what Jesus went through for you and for me it should cause us to say, Lord, thank you so much for all that you did to purchase my redemption. I agree with Charles Wesley when he wrote these words, amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? I'll be honest with you, I'm not worthy for Jesus to do any of that. And by the way, I'll be honest with you, you're not worthy for him to do that either. But he did. Paul said it this way, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were his enemies, while we were sinners, that's when Christ died for us. Not when we were a born-again believer? No. Oh, 
We were his enemies. We were ungodly. We were sinners. We were his enemies, and he died for us. He went through all that suffering. He went through the darkness of the cross for you so that you don't have to experience the darkness of this life and ultimately so that you don't have to experience the darkness of eternity in a place called hell. He went through all of that so that you can spend eternity in a wonderful place called heaven so that your sins could be forgiven. So friend, if you're watching tonight or listening tonight and you've never been saved, would you believe on Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? It's the only way. There is no other escape. Oh, I know we're going through this coronavirus thing and, and people are scrambling to try to find a cure. I'm telling you, when we look at our sin, there is only one cure for our sin, and it is the blood of Jesus Christ that he shed on the cross of Calvary. There's no other way. It's not, it's not uh, the blood of Christ plus religion. It's just Jesus Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He's the only way. So if you're watching tonight and you've not yet believed on Christ, would you make the greatest decision of your life and place your faith and trust in him alone for your salvation? Stop clinging to your religion. Stop clinging to your church membership. Stop clinging to the good things that you've done and say, simply to thy cross I cling. And then for those of us who have made that decision, I hope that you'll go away from this service thanking the Lord in a greater sense and a greater, greater understanding of what he did for you. And may that cause us to thank him and to be willing and wanting to serve him with our lives. And with that, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer.